of Worship, your source for commentary and discussion on worship, theology, and culture. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. Welcome to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. Great to be with you today, continuing in this lengthy series called The Psalm Project, in which I am setting all 150 psalms to music and then giving my commentary before you hear the recording of it. Um, <clears throat> I was thinking the other day what I'm going to do when I get to Psalm 119, because that is the longest psalm, and I don't know that it can or even should be set to one piece of music. I might have to divide that one into two or three or four. We will see what happens when we get there. But today I am covering Psalm 9, the ninth psalm, to the choir master according to the Muthlaban, uh, or sorry, Muthlaban, <laughs> mispronounced that there, the Muthlaban, uh, that is a liturgical term. And again, usually when you see these terms at the beginning of your your psalm, it is probably a liturgical term, and that is probably what this is, but no one really knows. This is a Psalm of David. Um, psalm 9 and 10 were probably originally a single psalm, and together they form an acrostic. Um, Hebrew poetry, when you read the Psalms, a lot of it is poetry. And so when you read Hebrew uh, poetry, a distinguishing feature is the repetition of ideas called parallelism. And you see this quite often in the Psalms. And, and what that means is an idea is stated and then immediately expressed again in different words uh, with the concepts of the two lines corresponding more or less closely. And so you see this often in, in many of these Psalms that we go over. In English, it doesn't work out, but in many, in many cases... In the Hebrew text, they form an acrostic. Now, Psalm 9 and 10 are no different. They form an acrostic in the Hebrew text, which is why scholars believe that these two psalms probably go together. It was probably one psalm. Uh, this is a lament. It is a lamenting psalm, but it begins with thanksgiving, and, and that keys you in on David's perspective. He had the right perspective. He begins his lament with thanksgiving. And then it goes to verse 13, and he turns to the Lord with these petitions, and it concludes on this note. And so, uh, Psalm chapter 9, this is a, a great psalm that makes uh, sets well to music. It is kind of lengthy. Psalm 10 is kind of lengthy as well. Um, and so, these, uh, when I set these to music, they each have five stanzas, which can be very long uh, when you're uh, speaking about music. But... Uh, they make good musical settings. So let's look at Psalm chapter 9. And I am going to read the text for you and then break it down and unpack it. So beginning with verse 1. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne, giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. 
You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished, but the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. And he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death that I may recount all your praises, that the gates of the daughter of Zion, I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk in the pit that they have made. In the net that they have hid their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forgot God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. So, let's get into this and break it down. So, the psalmist begins by praising God, and he speaks of his wonderful deeds. By the way, I have set this psalm to music um, in the form of a chorus. Um, I take uh, basically the first um, couple of verses and turn that into a chorus, and, and then the rest of what I've recorded is me reading the psalm. And I used to use this... Uh, in my former church at First Baptist Church of Slayton, Texas, we used to sing psalms, and I would often turn a psalm into a chorus and then have readers read the text in between these choruses, and they would sing these psalms. And it, was, it worked out very well for corporate worship. So the psalmist here speaks of the wonderful deeds of God. He says, I will recount your wonderful deeds. The Hebrew word here of wonderful deeds refers to the great acts of God, his intervention in human affairs, Um, specifically, in this case, the exodus from Egypt. David, Israelite, and his predecessors came out of slavery, and so he's recounting the deeds of God. And then in verse 3, he says, When my enemies turn back, When enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. This is a statement of future hope, not of past reality. And that is something that we must remember as God's people, that there is a future hope. Sometimes we forget that, you know, while we can, it doesn't take that long to think about what God has done for us. I mean, we could could think of a million things. Sometimes we're lazy and we forget it, but we could think of so many things that God has done for us, but this is the assurance of God's future promises, his future hope that he will give his people. And then in verse 4, he says, You've maintained my just cause. You've sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. 
And the psalmist is not confident in himself when he says, you've maintained my just cause. He's not confident in himself, but in God's character as the righteous judge. And then he says, you blotted out their name in verse uh, five. You rebuked the nations. You made the wicked perish. You've blotted out their name to be remembered no more. In contrast with verse two, when he says, I will praise, I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. The name of the Lord will be praised forever and ever. And so the contrast is the wicked. Wicked men, their names have been blotted out forever and ever. In verse 11, he references God sitting on his throne in Zion. And we've, we've discussed this before. Zion, the, um, uh, the, the heavenly Zion... People, this is an assurance that God is with his people. It says, you sit on your throne in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. This is the God, the creator of the universe, sitting on his throne in, in Zion, and yet he cares enough about his people to help them in their time of need. And so the afflicted should know that God is present with them in the world. In verse 12, he references God who avenges blood literally seeks blood. God does not let wickedness go unpunished. I want to read you some scriptures from Nahum. Nahum uh, 1, verses 2 through 6. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is a whirlwind and a storm, and and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. We've often heard that vengeance is the Lord's, and that is true, which is why we should not take vengeance into our own hands, but we must remember that God does avenge wickedness. And so, if you're going through a struggle, you're going through a difficulty, if there are people that are plotting evil against you, as the psalmist is probably in that situation here, God avenges evil. He avenges blood. Literally, the Hebrew term here, avenges blood, is seeks blood. In other words, God will have his way. Rest assured. These these people think that they're going to get away with what they are doing, but God does not let wickedness go unpunished. And then in verse 13, David references the gates of death. And this is similar to uh, Proverbs uh, or throughout the Psalms where David talks about Sheol, and he even does it in this Psalm, the gates of death. He references Sheol, the place of the dead. And this verse is the first sign of David's distress here. And then in verse 13, he references the gate, the daughter of Zion, contrasted with the gates of death in the previous verse. And so David says, He will praise God for answered prayer in the most public places in Jerusalem, the daughter of Zion. He is not ashamed of his God. In verse 15, he says, they have sunk in the pit that they have made. He's talking about the wicked ones, the evil ones. 
This is similar to, if you remember, in verse uh, in chapter 7, uh, where he says, Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. You probably remember that from chapter 7. Well, here is a similar theme. He's saying the wickedness of these enemies will come back to haunt them. And in verse 17, the wicked shall return to Sheol. And so the wicked are further defined in this second half of this, this verse. What is the wicked that he's speaking here? The wicked shall return to Sheol. Well, he says next, all the nations that forget God. That's the wicked. And he mentions Sheol again here, the place of the dead. Then in verse 18, for the needy shall not always be forgotten. The hope of the poor shall, shall not perish forever. The phrase poor and needy here is a fixed expression in the Old Testament. And the words appear frequently in parallel. And the meaning is, so, so you often see these together, the poor and the needy. And so they're, they're often together in the Old Testament, but you see these, uh, you see them together also in the New Testament. And the meaning, meaning is frequently literally uh, poverty, that's often what they're talking about. But the words may also be used figuratively to express total dependence on God. If you remember in the Beatitudes, uh, Jesus Christ himself, blessed are the poor in spirit. And so uh, this could also be referencing dependence on God. Poverty is not itself uh, meritorious here, but God gives special attention to the cries of the oppressed. That does not mean that you're going to get more attention from God if you are poor. That's not what this is saying. But Jeremiah, for example, equates bringing justice and righteousness to the poor and the needy with knowing God. Jeremiah 22 uh, in 15 and 16, Jeremiah says this. He, he equates the two. He links them together. Justice and righteousness that involves uh, or bringing justice and righteousness involves helping the poor and needy. And that is linked and that comes from, it stems from knowing God. That's Jeremiah's idea of it. And so this was an explicit responsibility to those in power. David was a king and he understood that. And then he says, concluding this psalm in chapter, in verse 19, he says, arise, O Lord. And we've talked about this, this, a term arise that you see sometimes in the Psalms. Uh, for example, you see this in chapter 3, verse 7, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. And this is an expression that's typical of Psalms sung at the beginning of war. And so this is a war term that David is using here. And so this is a lamenting psalm, and keep in mind that it does, the, the, the concept and the theme does continue through chapter 10. Uh, but in the Bible that we have in the English translation, it is just divided in this to this verse, uh, chapter 9 and chapter 10. And so that's what you get here. And so it does make a, an excellent musical setting. And so I want this to bless you and hopefully your heart worships through this. Here is Psalm chapter 9. Thank you for listening today to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones.
despair They stumbled and perished Because you were there For you have defended my judgment and cause And thrown to you judge rightly And voicing the laws You chasten the nations The wicked destroyed Forever made void The foe is consumed And completely erased Their cities destroyed And their memory defaced The Lord will eternally Sit on His throne Establishing it for His judgment He'll judge the world here below And to every people shall equity show The Lord is a stronghold to help the oppressed A stronghold of safety in times of distress Those knowing your labor, Lord, that trust in your place You have not forsaken those seeking your face Sing praise to the Lord who in Zion does dwell Among all the peoples His great doings tell His memory is clear The cry of the poor Never fades from his ear Lord, see what I suffer From malice and hate Have mercy, oh, lift me Oh, away from death's gate In gates of the daughter of Zion, our praise, rejoicing in your mighty power to save. The nations are sunk in the pit they prepared, their foot in the net that they hid is ensnared. Judgment has made himself known. He catches the wicked in snares of their own. The wicked to death's realm of darkness are brought. All nations who would not keep God in their thoughts forgotten no longer. Not perished forever The hope of me Arise, Lord, that man may not Make himself strong Let nations be judged In your presence for all Oh, Lord, put 
your fear and your terror in them. Let nations know truly that they are.